Um, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope. I'm excited you're here. I have a quick update for us before I'd love to share a little bit about a concert with you. Uh, it's the end of our fiscal year at Hope, and so we've been just updating you as, as a church family, just real quick, uh, as we end our fiscal year this week. Um, and and we're, a loca- we're a location of Hope, and so there's three locations all over the Twin Cities. All over, that sounds, there's just three of us. So in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and here in Columbia Heights. Uh, and so this is just our needs still through the end of this week. Um, but Hope Heights, we are, we are very close and so encouraged by how generous all of you have been and, and many others, and even other churches in our community and the other people who have who've given to help us with the ministry here, I hope, and helping people know Jesus. So we're really thrilled by that, encouraged by that. So just wanted to give you that update. Um, I was supposed to be at a concert last night, and so I had this question. I was all excited about this because I was going to say, hey, let me tell you about this great show I went to, and then it got moved. I went on my phone this week, to make sure I had the right time, to make sure our family like, knew when to get there. And it said uh, the time had changed. And I was like, ooh, we got to get there earlier. And so I, we kind of made plans. And then I looked again, and I was like, oh, the date has changed. It's in August now, which I didn't know that happened. Um, and so I didn't get to go last night to this concert, but I was thrilled about it. And I actually was a little bummed because I'm like, oh, it would have been fun to bring some hope people with me. And so I actually brought the concert to us. Can I do that for us today? So we're going to actually just enjoy a song together. So I was hoping to get to see Kirk Franklin. Anyone know Kirk Franklin? Classic. And Maverick City are on tour together. It's great. We actually sing some of their songs here. Um, and, we, and I didn't get to see them. So we're just going to experience it. We're going to take the next four minutes of our lives, and we're just going to go together to this concert. And this one is interesting. I won't, I won't spoil the surprise, but where the concert is, I think, is, is helpful. And I want you to consider, not just enjoy it, but consider and think about why or how does that happen? How do people, these people together, hang out and worship together? So let's enjoy this concert together a little bit. So now if you don't like concerts, you get to hang out with us and enjoy this one. Here we go. Uh, all right, so we got to go a little bit together to a concert. It's in August now, so you could come. We could all go together if you want to go. Uh, they just put out this new album, and I've been, can't get enough of it. It's uh, been a huge encouragement uh, to me uh, uh, lately, a lot of encouragement. Uh, one of the things, if you noticed in the video, uh, they uh, decided to go, and actually, um, if you read in the beginning, it's the largest like, worship gathering in a, in a prison. Uh, they decided to go record all the songs on their new album uh, in a prison. And so they actually... Uh, did that. When I first heard that, I thought, oh, that'd be cool. There's going to be like a concert, and there'll be like a crowd of prisoners. Uh, and, you know, you picture like there's a bunch of guards probably so that the prisoners don't, I don't know what they're going to do, run on the stage or, <laughs> I don't know. And then I see the video, and they just all gather together and, and worship. It's incredible. There's ones where they're like out in the yard doing it, and they're in different places in the prison, just crowds of people worshiping Jesus together, but I can't help, uh, I need to tell you, like, honestly, when I first watched it, the first time I saw one of these, I, my first instinct was like, I hope everybody's safe, because I have like a, already, I, I know there's like a bias in me about what's a, what is a prisoner doing, and like, oh, they're right next to each other, I hope they're okay, and there's people all mixed with one another, singing, I mean, there's stuff that kind of comes up that I, I don't like. And it makes you think, like, why would they feel comfortable doing that? Or you think they were distracted while they were maybe doing that, thinking, like, oh, I hope I'm okay, I'm safe? Or even you think that 
people who were there in the prison thinking, why would they come, or what is this, or what's the, the catch here? I think today that's my, my hope is to maybe get to the root of some of that in all of us as we continue our series of thinking of um, how different the gospel, how it changes how we see ourselves and those around us to where we um, really see ourselves as this, this family together worshiping Jesus, whatever position or title we have in us. So we're in a series, and I'm hoping we could kind of get to why that's so incredible um, and why that even happens and why maybe that's a thing that maybe could happen more in the church and God's family. We're in a series we're calling the story of the Bible in 16 verses, and we're just walking through the Bible and hitting some major kind of plot points throughout Scripture to just take some time to remember what is the story of this whole book. And then it's one big story that all points us to Jesus, rather than kind of like, what do I do with these old stories, or these new ones, or this weird one? Um, what do I do with these families that are kind of like uh, heralded as these like heroes of Scripture, and they seem to actually be kind of messed up? Um, and so we've been through uh, a whole bunch of these already, uh, or at least part of the, the top here we've been through, and we're just going to hop into Judah the king Today, we're asking ourselves some big questions as we go through this series. Um, what does this tell us about God as we look at this moment? What does this tell us about ourselves and people? And what does this tell us about Jesus? These are three questions that I try to ask myself anytime I look in Scripture. And sometimes this is really it for me. I just open what I'm reading. I think, okay, if nothing else, God, what are you going to tell me about yourself and about us as people and, and about Jesus this passage. So that's kind of our hope today and, and all summer as we go through these. And each week we kind of add to the story here. And so we've been looking at the story and seeing all these different um, creation and people. And, and this is our story for today with the addition of Judah at the end. God created a kingdom and he is king, but he made human beings to represent him in that kingdom. Adam and Eve rejected this call, which led to sin and death, but God promised to defeat the serpent to the seed of the woman who is also the seed of Abraham. Through Abraham's family and specifically Judah's royal seed, the covenant blessings would come to the world. So we started with creation, God creating things, then creating human beings in his image. These, image, these are supposed to be image bearers. And so the, the job, the, the role, like the greatest joy would come as they did what they were created to do, which was to represent God, to kind of be, as we've been saying, kind of like statues, living statues that people would see and experience. And they'd say, wow, look at the way they loved and cared and stewarded things, and they want to point to the one who made them. Then the fall comes, which is where people decide not to do that. In fact, often at the core of that, just want to bear their own image make their own name known. So they turn from God and sin enters the world and death. And then we see God promise that he's not going to leave us there as he promises that one day he would crush the head of that serpent who brought sin and death. And then we see God start this story of his family with Abraham, his wife Sarah. And he says to them, I'm going to bless you and make your name known. I'm going to do this work in you and your family will be like all the stars in the sky and your family is going to be used to bless those. And so the story of God's people is a story of, uh, of God creating people to be a blessing, to multiply, to grow, to steward things, and then turning to sin, and sin does the opposite. It doesn't bless. It divides. It brings hurt and pain and darkness, 
And so now we see this kind of family tradition start through Abraham. And today we're going to see into Judah, this family's tradition of sin, which does not bring blessing as much as it brings curse and sin, and really continuing this, the family of the serpent and not that of God. And so uh, I hope today we're, uh, I promise we'll be encouraged, hopefully. That's my goal. I was very encouraged by this. But you kind of sometimes have to see the bad news to see the good news. So here we are at Judah, our next stop. Um, and we're going to hear a little bit about what's happening here. We're in Genesis 49 today. We're starting there with Judah. And this is a moment where Jacob, this is a picture, uh, a photograph of Jacob and his sons. And that joke never gets old for me, if you've noticed. Um, and he's blessing his sons. And so as he's kind of at the end of his life, he, he sits with his sons and he blesses them uh, and also kind of prophesies. He kind of says, these are the things I see happening in my sons. I think this is actually him blessing Joseph. So he's dressed like an Egyptian. It's one of his sons. He has 12 of them. And so this is the blessing he gives, part of it, that he gives to his son Judah. Judah is one of his 12 sons. We're going to look at kind of the family here in a second. But he blesses him and he says uh, this over him. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. The scepter will not depart from Judah. There's a scepter and it won't leave Judah. It'll be in his line, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So just, we'll just real quick so we know kind of where we're at. This is random, right? This feels like, why was this the verse? picked. Well, it's because it's the beginning of this line of Judah. Not only did we say Abraham is going to end up, his family line is going to bring the one who will bless the world, Jesus, but that line also specifically goes through this one son of Jacob, who is Judah. First, this scepter, if you're, if you're unfamiliar, scepter is the kind of big staff that a king would often have. All different cultures throughout all time have had this scepter, and the scepter is just an indication of like power, royalty, kingship, authority. So the one holding the scepter, the one sitting on his throne with the scepter, if you can imagine it, like between him, his legs, holding it, saying like, I'm the one in charge, I'm holding my scepter. That indicates there's this royal king line that's going to go through Judah. That's going to be his kids, 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 or somewhere that is going to ultimately, it says, bring obedience of all the nations. There's going to be a person who's going to be king of all kings, ruler of all rulers, this Judah. This actually, this verse also, if you've heard the name Judah, maybe you didn't hear it as a king thing, but maybe you heard it as a lion thing, the lion of Judah. That's maybe a more common phrase you've heard in the church or in other settings also. Judah also has that. So actually the first part of the blessing here, we kind of skip to the middle of it, because we want to talk about this line that's going to go to Jesus, but is this. It says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. There's this kingly, right? You're going to be the ruler. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from, from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The, so this, first time, this is the first time we kind of hear this lion of Judah, which you may have heard this language because it's really common language uh, in the church that we talk about the Lion of Judah coming. It's actually used, it'll show in a minute here, like culturally people use this often. Um, even even um, 
Different religions use this. This line of Judah. And this is where it starts. So he's saying, Judah, you're, gonna, you're the lion here, and you're going to rule, and, and through your line, there's going to be a king who all the nations will obey. And we see this kind of line of Judah thing finish in Revelation 5. It's really the two places we see this. When one of the elders said, and this is in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, so this is like all the Judah stuff with his dad. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens. Jesus is born. He comes. He, he eventually dies on a cross, rises from the dead, defeats sin and death. He ascends to heaven as king. And then Revelation comes. The book of Revelation is us telling what it's going to be like one day. When, when Jesus comes back and makes all things right, and it says, then that one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. It's one of the ways in Revelation it describes Jesus. Hey, the lion has come, the one that was promised back in Genesis 49 so long ago, this one who will come and the nations will be obedient. It's happened. The lion of Judah has happened. This lion uh, is seen in a lot of places. This, uh, on the left side here, is an emblem of Jerusalem, the capital um, of the kingdom of Judah, depending on the moment in history. And so they even use this Lion of Judah in Jerusalem as this picture, this image. This is a really important image, this, this Judah line that we see through history. In the middle, you actually see the flag uh, of the Ethiopian emperor. He was the longest emperor for 40 years. He was in Ethiopia. And he's actually the one, what's more interesting, this is his official flag, He's the one that Rastafarians see as the Messiah. So maybe it's a little Rastafarian history. Um, they see him as the God coming incarnate. Um, and so this is his flag. And on the right, that's a picture of Aslan. Uh, the line of Judah is the inspiration for Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, so Aslan comes as, as a Jesus figure in there as a lion. And we see that all coming from this original kind of idea here that we see from Judah um, in scriptures, this lion of Judah uh, kind of has implications all over. There's actually things all over. Actually, um, Snoop Dogg put an album out called Snoop Lion, where he was like very passionate about Rastafarian religion for a period of his life. And he put an album out called Snoop Lion because he was harnessing, like inspired by the lion of Judah. I don't know how serious that was, but he said it was. He put an album out even inspired by Judah. Um, so what I want us to do, though, that was a little brief, right? Quick, quick, like, here's the big, big picture. Here's where we see this line of Judah, this King Judah, this line that's going to go through. I think it's important for us today, and, and what's been really hitting me is, is this family around Judah, and I think they're a nice little picture of really uh, all of us that we're going to see over and over, and it's really going to hopefully point us to why this is so important we even know who these people are. As a kid, I often would read or I'd be in Sunday school and I would hear a story of like Joseph or, or Jacob or Jude. I don't know if I remember what happened, but all I thought was, I, I would leave often thinking, I gotta be more like those people. Just recently I was talking to a friend and they said, hey, I've been reading Genesis and there is a lot of people marrying a lot of people and having a lot of wives and having kids with people who aren't their wives. Uh, am, am I supposed to be like those people? Like, I don't get why I'm, I thought I was reading Genesis to learn what I was supposed to be like. And so what is, what is so I want us today to look at this, hopefully, and be encouraged. What is, why, why should we know who Judah is and his family? Um, and how can that encourage us to point to Jesus? So we're going to look a little bit at the Judah bunch today. <laughs> hopefully a few of you know. <laughs> I'm very excited. That slide took me the longest out of all my slides. So <laughs> we're just going to take it in for a second. 
All right. All right. Well, quickly, maybe it helps you visually to see his family. And so Abraham and Sarah, they have a child. His name is Isaac. And Isaac and Rebekah have a child. His name is Jacob. So you kind of see the father, grandfather. Jacob then is a wild story. We can't even get into all these stories. This would be like if you were hanging out with your neighbors and somebody was like, what's up with the family, you know, like around the corner? Who's married to who? And like, what? And you're like, well, I can't, I can't figure all of it out. We're going to try to figure a little bit out today. This is Jacob. Jacob really wants to marry this beautiful woman named Rachel. And so he works for Rachel's dad. Rachel's dad uh, is a little sneaky and tricks him into actually marrying and sleeping Leah, the less attractive daughter that Jacob did not want. This is a real deal. This is real life. And then the dad says, if you work another seven years for me, I'll give you the other daughter. And so he does. And so 14 years later, Jacob has two wives who are sisters. I'm sure there's no drama in that household. And then they actually have servants who have children with him also. So Jacob has seven sons and one daughter. Dinah, and uh, or he has 12, these 12 sons with four different Women who are in his household, two of them are sisters, two of them are servants or slaves of those women. Just that alone, right? That would be like an eight-season TV show that we'd all watch. Uh, this is his family. This is the family. Like if you went, hey, what's the right family to get like the savior of the universe, the perfect, holy, loving God to come to earth through, you'd say, oh, the family down the street. Like who's who and who's living? That's who God's picking. So Leah then has... Uh, this group of sons. One of them is Judah. And then the other wives have other sons, right? It's where we see Joseph comes from Rachel. And then this is, so through Judah, is what we're hearing today, there's a line that goes to King David, which we're going to learn about, and eventually this line goes to Jesus. That's why if you read your like New Testament, if you read the beginning of one of your Gospels, there might be like a whole list of family, which you skip over usually, right? If I'm reading, I'm like, okay, there's a bunch of evil, and then Jesus is born. This is why that list actually is really incredible, because you see all these names, and you go, wow. And in fact, if you know the stories of these names, you go like, sinner, sinner, holy cow, wow. I cannot believe that person is in Jesus' family holy cow, and then the Savior universe. And so this line of Judah uh, comes out of Leah. So if we're learning about kind of Judah and his family, his kind of more immediate or extended family, this is it. He's got some brothers who are just with his dad and mom, and he has some kind of stepbrothers through others. And these 12 are the ones that Jacob blesses. These 12 are the ones that create the 12 tribes of Israel, these 12 are the ones who, who are like the founding fathers of, of this Jewish faith in this community. It's really incredible. So let's zoom in like to Judah then. Well, who's Judah? A few things that'd be helpful maybe to learn about Judah, kind of his family, kind of a lot going on. Judah was born to Lee and Jacob, we learn. And then Judah, we hear, the first time we really get to have a conversation with Judah is when Judah is convincing his brothers or suggesting that they should sell their brother Joseph into slavery. So the first thing you think, well, maybe, maybe Judah's a nice guy. Well, he did suggest his brother be sla sold into slavery. This is when his all the brothers get together and they say, we don't like that Joseph is loved so much by our father. 
And so they decide to throw him in a, in a hole in the ground, and then instead they decide to sell him into slavery, and he goes to Egypt. And in Egypt, uh, he has these, interprets these dreams, and he becomes like in charge of Egypt, like helps the Pharaoh run the country. And then if the story of Joseph, his brothers eventually come to Egypt to get help, and his brothers now have to encounter the person who runs Egypt to ask for help, and it's their brother who they sold into slavery. That's the, that's the end of a season. And you're like, what's going to happen? And then the next season picks up that he has this great mercy on them and loves them dearly. And then God's family, his, these 12 tribes are in Egypt. That's how they get to Egypt before Moses, uh, you know, the whole, uh, the whole Exodus stuff happens. That's just part of Judah's story in there. And then we know that Judah then himself has three sons. Are you ready for this? He has three sons. His one son marries a woman. Tamar, and that son dies, it says in Scripture, just because he was evil. He did things against the Lord and died. So then, uh, culturally, then his brother would marry her. The brother marries his, the widow. His brother's kind of the same, and he dies. And so then, it's recommended that maybe she doesn't marry anyone else, so more brothers don't die. And she then disguises herself, sleeps with her father-in-law, Judah, and they have a baby together. And so now Judah becomes a grandfather and a father, kind of to the same person. He actually, though, in the process there, wants to have her killed, burned, I believe, and then find, she, she knows it's him, and they find out, so then they end up having the child. So there's just like a hint. That's just like the quick, you're hanging out. Hey, what is some of this stuff? How is that? What's up with those people? There's a lot going on. A lot going on. Not maybe ideal for who I would pick as the Savior's family. I want you to zoom in, though, uh, on not just Judah, but let's zoom back to his mom. So we get a little more picture. There's lots of people in his family. Here's a painting depicting a moment in his mother's life. This is a moment when um, uh, Jacob finds out that he actually married the wrong woman. The, he thought he was marrying the beautiful daughter who he wanted to marry, Rachel, and said he's married Leah, and he wakes up in the morning, and he realizes he's with the other daughter. So he's pretty upset. Understandably, and also, like, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And so um, we get to this moment with Leah that's incredible in Scripture. Leah, a woman who loves the Lord, says, I really want this husband of mine, though, to love me. You can imagine you're with a man married to a man who's made it very clear he didn't want to marry you from the get-go. And also sees your sister as the beautiful one, the desirable one. Imagine all that Leah would be feeling, how lost, how alone. And so she decides uh, she's going to have kids with him. Uh, and it's interesting how these sons all come about. These are the first four Sons. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Um, he, she named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. So she has her first son, Reuben, and she names him Reuben, which means like, you've been seen. Because now, do you see her heart? I've had Reuben. Look, here's your son, Reuben. Do you love me now? She wants so much to be loved. Uh, 
and cared for, but it doesn't happen. So she conceives again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. And she named him Simeon because uh, his name means heard. So maybe she, God has seen me, he's heard me. And so I had this son and hey, Jacob, we have two sons. Look at these, look at our boys. Please love me. He doesn't. Like, it, just the time that it takes, the, the months, the years, all this is happening. Feeling unloved. Has her two boys and now she has a third boy. Again, she conceived and when she gave birth to her son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi, which means, could mean like attached, connected to. Still feels unloved. Jacob's still not being a husband he's supposed to be with her, but she feels unloved. I mean, the pain, just, just the years of this, raising these sons, even just naming them words that remind her that the Lord has heard her and reminds her that she wants so much to be loved. And then she has her fourth son, Judah. She, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Judah means praise. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. We know actually it goes on then. She has two more and has a daughter. Do you see this progression though? She feels unloved and has these boys and hopes. Her husband will love her. He doesn't love her. He doesn't love her. And I love this last one. It changes a little bit. It changes to, I'm just going to praise the Lord. Almost, there's almost uh, as if she says, I'm going I'm to be loved by the Lord. I don't know if Jacob's going to ever follow through with this, but I have a God who loves me. I'm going to name my son Praise. Praise God because he does love me. He does attach to me. He does hear me. He's with me. This is, this is the family of Judah, a mother who was felt unloved, who was unloved, undesired, having her boys, hoping her husband, working to get her husband to love her, and finally saying, I, I praise the Lord, he's mine and he loves me. It's this, this a family history that has a lot of sin in it, a lot of brokenness in it, lots of different kids and parents, and it just continues that way. It has a mom who's loved deeply by God and meets with her, even when her husband doesn't. It has people who even as they sin and turn from God, God is faithful to them. In all that, for generations after generations of turning away from God, God brings about a Savior to rescue all of them from their brokenness. In just this few generations, we get a sampling of the kind of family that God uses. It really doesn't get much better. And if we fool ourselves, maybe we believe we're much better, but we're really just like Judah's family. This is a story about how God uses broken people in keeping his covenant. He creates new people out of broken people through his son, Jesus. This is so, so important for us to believe and to know this is true, that we're not the best family on the block. The people shouldn't go, man, they're, they're awesome, and that's why God has blessed them. 
we see this continue. Look what happens when Jesus meets with people. This is fast forward now. Jesus comes, he's born, he's hanging out. This happens over and over. He's hanging out with Pharisees. These are religious people, right? Who are, who are there supposed to help direct their people in what religion should look like, what the worship of God should look like, what praising God should look like. These are people who are in the, the history of Judah and his brothers. They've come through and he's hanging out with them and some others. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Let's just stop there. So Jesus had just called Matthew. So Matthew was a tax collector. He was hated by Jewish people and hated by everybody, all people. He was just universally hated. He had that sweetness to him uh, because he took money from them took taxes from them, and sometimes tax collectors were known to steal money from people. They were seen as just bottom of the, bottom of the barrel, and then just sinners in general, people who they considered bad people, broken people, maybe because of their family, because of their family's history, because of the way they looked, or just because of their actions, the things they were actually doing or saying. And so he had just come to a tax collector, Jesus did, and said, I want you to join my crew here, my, my close-knit disciples that are going to change the world. Come, Matthew, come with us. To, fair, to people whose job is to, like, go get trained. They're the professional religious people. They're not being asked. He's asking this broken sinner tax collector. And so they say, why would you eat with these people? Why would you sit with these people, Jesus, if you think you're this Savior who's coming, this person who's coming to change the world, if you're actually God incarnate, why would you hang out with these broken people? It's interesting, right? And then he says, then Jesus heard it. He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are, uh, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So he says to them, I came for sick people. I came to, to heal those who are sick not those who are well. And he doesn't actually mean like, you're doing really great, so you keep doing your thing, and I'm going to help these broken people, right? The, the real story here is that like, you're all sick. We're all sick, and we need a Jesus. The story here is that we're all, we don't just have like a weird uncle, we're all the weird uncle, right? We don't have one bad egg in our family. There's like a million dozen cartons of broken eggs, there's not just one. We don't have a few cousins that we don't bring up at family gatherings. We're all the cousins, right? Who live off the grid in a bus somewhere, right? We're, how quick though, right? How quick do I have to find a category that I can be awesome and good and the best so that I can say those people aren't? How quick I have to find a, a place so that I look the best and I look more like Jesus so my name can be known? And this isn't bad news. This is really, really good news. It means that grace is very, very real. Grace, something that we do not deserve. The word meaning it's something you don't deserve. In fact, you have done things that you're so far from deserving it. And Jesus still comes and says, no, 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 I'm going to give you love and mercy. You have run so far and you have followed the serpent all of your days and I love you, and I'm going to make a way for you to come back into the right family. And he joyfully gives us this grace and rescues us from 
his broken family into his good, good family, from the family of death to the family of life, from the family of brokenness to the family of those who are healed, right? We're all sick and he's come to heal us. It's so important how we think about ourselves, how these passages, these moments and these stories, tell what they tell us about us and who our God is. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Right? We were despised, lowly, not. And he made us something so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. We're hearing here in 1 Corinthians, it's okay and good that we weren't anything, that we were broken, that we're, that we're Judah's family. Because what that allows Jesus to do is to heal us, to make us right, to make us once again image bearers. We can rest in that good grace, which is what's going to change our hearts and make us new people and make us a new creation. We can rest in that grace. We can be part of the Judah bunch saved by our big brother Jesus. We can point people then to Jesus because then, you ready? We now are actually bearing the image of, of Jesus and not ourselves. If I'm really awesome and I don't need Jesus, then I'm just making my name known, which does not work out. But if I'm broken and Jesus has fixed me, has saved me, has rescued me, made me new, now I get to bear the image of Jesus, which is what we are always meant to do. See how this story, it's incredible. The thing we were created to do, Jesus makes us once again. And then we find this great joy in being who we were made to be. Those who bear his image, healed by him, those who can say, yeah, I'm broken. Feel the grace and the mercy that comes from just saying, yeah, it's, it's okay. I need Jesus. That we ourselves have been saved, we can say yes to Jesus, and we become who we are created to be. We can say, I don't know, and it might bring us peace. We can say, I, I didn't win. And it can actually bring us contentment. We can actually build others up and find joy in that. We can let go of perfection and actually find self-control in it. It's incredible. We could say, yeah, I, I'm the same family. I'm the same people. And Jesus is good. And we find great joy and contentment and peace that comes from us saying yes to our sin and yes to the great love of Christ. We're reminded that we are far greater sinners than we know and we are far more loved than we know. So what do we do with this? I, a couple of things that are really helpful for me um, come in these three images. First, a mirror. I think it's important that with this truth that I am broken, but I am rescued and made new through Christ is really important first to just see when I look in the mirror. So consider maybe, just assess in your own life, what does that look like for you? Do you maybe think um, very highly of yourself and maybe I need some Jesus 
every once in a while. There's a few skills that I don't have that maybe he'd have. Or maybe you think really low. It's really easy to think, I am a terrible sinner, I am broken, and not know like the other half, that I'm deeply loved and cared for. Can you imagine Leah if she had just sat in that, that brokenness, but she knew she was loved by God. So first, just in your own. How do you view yourself in this truth, this gospel truth? Then how do you view others in this gospel truth? So as you look through your gospel glasses, how do you see the people around you? How quickly do you assess if you're better or worse than a person as you talk to them or, or read a comment by them or just see them from a distance? How quick do you have to assess? Do you ever find yourself having to quickly figure out like how you're, what you're good at or maybe, maybe in conversation you have to let people know how good you are at something? How quick are you to see someone and be willing to let them win? Or maybe just even succeed or even match you? Or maybe also when you look at people, you feel the other thing. Maybe it depends on the moment or where you're at. Maybe when you're at work, you feel like everyone around you is so much greater than you. You feel like you're in Judah's family and everyone else is in Judah's neighbor's awesome family. Maybe that's what motivates you day after day is looking at people and figuring out who's better than me, who's less than me, rather than seeing like, oh, oh, the gospel shows we're all in Judah's family. We're all broken. We all are sinners. We all need the Savior, and thank God we all have a Savior, which brings us all together. And lastly, how do you view God in all this? Yourself and those around you, but what does it look like to see God as the one who has rescued us? That when we read the book of Genesis, I don't say, man, I got to be more like Jacob. I, I, re- I don't want to be like Jacob. I would not like a family like Jacob's family. That feels very complex. It's hard enough for me to love my own family, let alone all these things. So when I look at the book of Genesis, I can go, wow, this reminds me there's broken people and there's a God who had a plan and he came and rescued them and loves them and cares for them. There's a God who's never left them, a God who faithfully pursued them for a long, long time and still is with them. There's a God who set up a line, a family line, so our big brother Jesus would come and rescue us. How do you see, or, or do you see when you see God? Man, God is big and far away and not close to me. God thinks he's better than me. Or maybe I think I'm better than him. And so we get all the way back. I'm going to welcome our worship team up here um, as, we, as we wrap up here. And we get back to our, our concert we got to go to together. I played the video at the beginning so you guys wouldn't have to like play right after it. <laughs> that felt unfair. <laughs> I love you, but you're not Kirk Franklin uh, <laughs> in lots of ways. <laughs> you're both kind of shorter, though, Jordan. That's close. I mean, you got one thing. <laughs> You have a better beard. (laughs) So we get back to this. So how can this happen, right? How when I when I see this, how does this happen? Because everyone in this room are are broken people who are singing their hearts out that there's a God who has come to rescue them. Do you hear the words they're singing? Bless me, bless me. Not I'm gonna I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make my name known. Bless me, bless me, bless me, God indeed. Death has been defeated, and he is our victory. They, they come together to bear the image, to point each other to Jesus. Bless me, bless me, God, not just for me, but so everyone around me can have everything they need. 
We have a God who comes to broken people who are, have nothing and brings everything to them. So they come together in a room, reminded by that truth, and it changes everything. The way they see one another, the way they see themselves, the way they see God. And people who typically, culturally, in our, in our society, don't hang out, literally we don't allow them to hang out, right? People who are viewed very differently, who for sure are seen in different levels, maybe even seen as less than people, come together and are, are all even at the foot of the cross and worship together. This is the, the magic. This is the, the joy that comes from the gospel that does that. All over the place, every single day, I see not that happening. And I say, gosh, I wish there's, how do we, the gospel does that. How do we do that? The gospel does that. Us being reminded of that good, good news. So we get to do that here in a minute. We get to sing together as broken people have been rescued by a God and have great joy in doing that. Quickly, next week, is exciting. Jared is going to share with us about the Passover. Exciting next step in our journey. Those people do get out of Egypt, if you're wondering, and Jared will share a little bit about that. A few questions just to consider. We're going to take time to sing together. There's also communion out in the hallway. If you're, uh, you don't have to be a member here at Hope to take communion. You just have to love Jesus. It's an opportunity to, to uh, remember. Jesus c called us and said, hey, take some bread and break it. Take some wine and drink it. Remember that my body was broken. My blood was shed so that you could be family, so that you could come together. And so we do that in the hallway to keep food and beverage out of the, out of the room here. And so if you want to take communion, it's out in the hallway. Also, someone available to pray with you if you just want someone to pray for you and love you. That person is just as messed up as you are. And so walk up to them, and you can say that if you want, and, and ask for prayer. Um, they're here. They're here for you, with you to do that. A couple things to consider. Do you know that Jesus came to save imperfect people? He's not waiting for you to be perfect. Where are you pursuing perfection or Jesus as your hope? Consider that. That's an everyday question I have to ask. Who shows you grace and encourages you to grow? Who says, yeah, I love you where, I love you where you're at. I know you're broken. I know, I know this is going on, but I want to see you pursue Christ. And what is your expectation of others? And how can you be clothed in grace as we move towards one another? What a light we can be to those around us. We pray for us and we'll worship together. Lord, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, that you came to a family of people who at times were cursing your name and said, I'm going to die for you so that you could have life. And you brought us into your family. You have lavished grace on us. Pray that would change our hearts and our minds, and as we sing now to you, uh, we'd be changed people. And that you'd bond this family together as we sing, and we'd be uh, together your people, and together bear your image, and more would know you, and know the grace and the joy and the peace that comes from that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.